Aloha my kako. Welcome to another episode of the Moana Nui podcast. Thank you all for joining us. I am really excited about today's podcast. Um, we have a very special guest, one of the first musicians we're having on the Moana Nui podcast. His name is Jason Chu, and he is a rapper, poet, activist on a mission to speak hope and healing in a broken world. As a solo artist, he blends introspective lyricism with high energy bangers and thoughtfully crafted spoken word poetry. Jason's music has been seen and heard on Wu Assassins on Netflix and Warrior Seasons 1 and 2, which is one of our favorite uh, shows. He has shared poetry at the Obama White House, been featured in the Chinese American Museum of LA, and presented at the Getty Center Flushing Town Hall, the Nate Holden Performing Arts Center, and the Museum of Chinese in America. As an Asian on Asian American identity and hip hop culture, Jason has spoken and led workshops at the University of Pennsylvania, Dragon Con, Art Center, uh, Stanford, NYU, Yale, and beyond. So as you can see, he has had quite an impressive career and I'm really excited to have him on the show tonight. In addition, I also have my friend and very special co-host, Dana Morgan. She is a photographer, a cosplayer, a lover of all things geek, and has graciously made the connection between me and Jason tonight. So it was a no-brainer that I have her here on the podcast tonight, too. So let's bring them both on. What's up? What's up? (laughs) (laughs) How's it going today? Good. It's, uh, you know, almost the holidays, almost, you know. Just decelerating. It's been an incredible year. Uh, you know, I'm definitely ready to rest. Definitely ready to recharge for next year. Yeah. How, how y'all doing? I'm doing good. I'm hanging in. Same, kind of the same thing. Like, looking forward to slowing things down a little bit. Reflecting. You know, there's been mm-hmm. a lot of things that have been focused on the bad of 2020. But just like over this past week, you know, even on my my Facebook and stuff, I'm like, okay. Let's tell me one thing that has been good that you feel proud of your accomplishment in 2020. Let's change the, you know, like the perspective and the mindset with that. So um, it's kind of where I've been focused um, at the end of the year. It's my thing, like kind of capturing the good, the bad, the lessons learned, the things you can change, the things you can let go of um, and stuff like that. How about you, Dana? Uh, Same here. It's just like just taking each day at a time. And with this pandemic, it really has shown how we should value our bonds and develop the bonds that we are establish and really invest in the ones that are more of our um, our board or um, the people that will help bring us to our next level. I think as my grandma will say, uh, this was a year of purging. You gotta purge your friends. Some people will go from associates to friends. Some go from friends, uh, from friends to associates. Some may be only seasonal and have done their season and it's time for them to exit out of your life. And then there's some that are lifetime. So it's one of those, you have to reevaluate everything and put those people around you. That's going to help push you to your next, next level. So that's that's been my reflection for 2020. (laughs) That's awesome. Sage advice from our, our beautiful elders. Yes. <laughs> All righty. So let's get this started. Um, so one of the things that I love to do with the Moana Nui podcast is understanding the origins of our guests, um, kind of to help with the conversation. So where were you born and raised and um, what is like your ethnic background? Yeah, I was born in Chicago, Illinois. 
Uh, I grew up on the East Coast. I grew up in kind of between Delaware and Connecticut. And, you know, my parents are both Chinese, uh, Chinese-American. So my dad was born in Thailand and my mom was born in Malaysia. Uh, but they're both, uh, yeah, Chinese, Chinese-American. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Th- Thailand is one of my favorite places. Well, yeah, one of the favorites that I've been overseas. It's, it's yeah. an amazing country, a vibrant yeah. culture. Something that I definitely would love to see more here in America. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Thailand's got really great uh, street culture, you know, mm-hmm. really yes. great food and, and a lot of beautiful things. Yeah. Yes, the street carts. I remember, yeah, I would be traveling with coworkers and they'd be like shying away from, you know, the food and stuff. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's the best stuff right here, right here. You know, like <laughs> it doesn't get better than this. Like, yeah. Well, I feel like America just got really bad street, uh, like food and culture. You know what I'm saying? Like, America. It doesn't really have anything like they're in food trucks, but they're there. That's a little too bougie. You know what I'm saying? Food trucks. You basically might as well go to a restaurant. Right. But I feel like all over Asia or Europe or Africa and Caribbean, you know, street food is such an important part of culture and, and of livelihood. Um, and, and we really see that in Thailand. Definitely. And a lot of people sleep on the, like you said, the street food, because a lot of those street merchants and things like that, their food is recognized by a lot of food critics Mm -hmm. and they get awards and stuff like that. And when you go there, it's like people may walk past them, but it's like, no, this place just got a you know michelin stars and stuff exactly <laughs> don't sleep on don't sleep on the grandpa right there cooking that food <laughs> like, yeah there's a there's a hawker stall in singapore that mm-hmm. has a michelin star exactly yeah that's so awesome yeah i just oh, all the cultures overseas so this is like the, the other ways for me to like bring those cultures you know two people through this podcast hopefully you know like you can, i mean you can't nothing beats the real thing and you know feet on street and you know just being in the presence of that culture and immersing yourself. But if you can give them a little taste, maybe folks will be, you know, once all this travel restrictions and we get straight with with COVID and everything, maybe people will want to explore the world a little more and get some more perspective. Yeah, I hope so. I, hope so. <laughs> I, I definitely feel like, you know, uh, after, after we're able somehow to push through this, you know, vaccination is good, but really nothing replaces just good public safety, right? Yeah, public health absolutely. and public safety. Yep. Um, so if people can just get themselves under control, make sure that they look out for each other. We, you know, there, there's a lot of beautiful things going on out there in the world right now. And it's so great to have, you know, this technology that allows us to connect, um, you know, even though we can't do it in person, but I've, you know, just been able to make connections with people who I probably wouldn't have, you know, spoken with before. So it's been great. So one of the first questions we have is, um, how did you get started in music and who were your inspirations and influences as you came up in music? Yeah. So uh, for me, I purely got started in music, just, you know, listening to music, listening to hip hop, listening to rap music with my friends. You know, I had buddies at school or whatever. We'd download music, we'd share it with each other. Uh, and we just kind of, you know, of course, you, you hear what you hear. And then I think if you really love something, you eventually want to try your own hand at it, right? Like, I think that, you know, most most fans of something, right, whether it's cosplay or whether it's, you know, music or whether it's fashion, whatever it is, if, if you enjoy something enough, at some point you want to stop just consuming and you want to start creating too, right? That's part of the natural sort of cycle of life. 
So we would get together, you know, after school or whatever it was, uh, and we'd be freestyling or we'd be writing some raps, and they were all awful. But you know what it what it led to was was just this real sense of you know if I really love this thing, I don't want to just uh, watch other people participate in it. I really want to be a part of part of what's going on, you know, uh, part of the whole process. So so that got me into it, and then I went to college, and I was fortunate enough to go to a university where we had resources like a recording studio. Or we had like, you know, a battle of the bands or, you know, get get opportunities to perform on campus. So, you know, when I was in college, I really learned a lot about engineering music and performing music and what went into a good performance. And, you know, very DIY. It was always very, you know, hey, we, we want to do this thing. So let's just make a, make a shot at it. Absolutely. That sounds awesome. Um, So do, did you have who are your um, I'll say top three, top three hip hop artists uh, when you were coming up? Man, top three. I'll say like, you know, I, I was always really drawn to like people who were very lyrical, people who had really, really good flows. So I'll say like, uh, like the first three that just kind of come to mind are uh, Kendrick Lamar and Lupe Fiasco and Eminem, right? Like just, just people who were very dense lyrically, who were saying interesting things, who always sounded like they had fun writing and, and making music. And that was what I was really attracted to, you know, and that was the kind of artist that I've always wanted to be is somebody who's saying interesting things in a in an interesting way. Now, uh, Jason, you always connect your audience to Delaware, where you grew up as a kid. How did you find your voice in music along with your voice in social issues while growing up there? I mean, honestly, I really didn't. It was after I left the state, you know, it was after I was out for college and, and, and moving around the world. I, I, so I always say like my foundation and the basis of, you know, the values I was given come from my time at home, my time with my parents, my time, you know, kind of experiencing the world in this little like corner of it. Mm. Uh, but so much of it, I think, was, you know, when you get out of the state, you get out, right? All, all of us, you know, wherever we grow up at some point, you get out of your little pocket where that means mm -hmm. you just go, you know, two blocks over or whether that means you go across the world you realize that there's other things out there, right? And then how you respond to that really, I think, defines, you know, is always defined by where you come from, whether right. that's, you know, what you represent or or how you move through the world. So for me, it was, it was you know, understanding more and more of what's going on in society and in culture and saying, you know, hey, the, 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 the things about my upbringing that I consider good and positive and helpful for others you know, it, it says I gotta I, I gotta speak up about you know race and justice and equality. It says I've gotta land on the this side of of questions about queerness or you know like trans identity things like that, um, poverty. You know, and and so I think that I'll, I'll always credit, as it were, like small town values mm. for 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 leading me to where I went. But it was really the connection of what I was taught in in my like you know little kind of suburban, almost rural upbringing, and then connecting that to these issues that I started encountering, you know, not just in newspapers, but, you know, friendships and relationships and communities that I was exposed to as, as I was moving out throughout the world, you know. Now, more and more in the community um, is using the term of API, um, Asian Pacific Islanders, but we often see the community siloed into North Asians, South Asians, and Pacific Islanders. How can we unify the API community beyond these silos? And what steps are you making to help close those gaps? Right. I mean, I think for me, 
so much of it is knowing our history. You know, if you understand history, then you understand why, like, Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, Pacific Islanders all come together as this, like, sort of community together. You know, it it's, uh, really traces its roots to 1969, 1972, um, a certain movement in civil rights and in academia where our different people groups you know, we said, hey, it's 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 better for us to stick together. You know, you, you look out and you see, you know, Chicano, Hispanic folks, they've got a unifying narrative that they can use to push and represent themselves. Native folks, similarly. Black folks, similarly. For us, you know, we were very split apart. Filipinos were one thing. Japanese were another thing. Chinese were another thing. You know, Native Pacific Islanders were another thing. So what brought brought us together was, was us saying, hey, we got to stick up. We got to band together. We got to stick up for each other. Not because all of our issues are identical, mm. but because you know there needs to be. So, so, so really, I think the number one mistake is thinking, oh, I don't, I don't feel like this, 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 this label of Asian American really affects me. So I'm just gonna opt out. Which you know that 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 works great until there's something that you need a lot of people for. You know, until you need lobbying until you need like we're seeing in georgia right now you know there's this really important senate runoff vote and you can't just go person by person right and be like mm-hmm. hey you know like what do you feel as an asian american community we're mobilizing along with the black communities mobilizing you know and in the black community it's not like oh you know were, were, you, were you black or did your parents come from africa it's no like look we all this is something that affects all of us who goes to the senate is going to affect all of us to me, that's my understanding of, you know, this whole Asian American identity thing. And that's why I'm so passionate about it, because I think, you know, we all agree that there's so many things going on in culture, going on in our American society that are not equitable. And we're not, you know, if we all just fight our own little piece of the battle, right, and we all just focus 100% of our energies and wear ourselves out fighting for our specific little corner of that, um, you know, our energy is much better spent banding together and pushing forward certain things that we agree are are, are unified goals. Now, um, you released a song, All You Can Eat, at the earlier part of the pandemic in the United States. What inspired you to write this song to support the API restaurant community? Right, because uh, even before the lockdown, Asian American restaurants, specifically Chinese American Chinatown restaurants, were showing a 40 to 80% decrease in their gross receipts uh, week by week. Because we know, like, right with COVID, there's been a lot of anti-Asian racism. Um, this year, it's been ugly in a lot of ways, a lot of a lot of ways against in a, in a lot of directions. And certainly one thing that surfaced is the reality of how anti-Asian xenophobia is still profitable, right? For a lot of people, it is, it's good business for them to, to scapegoat Asian Americans. And, and that boils over, not just to East Asians, not just Chinese, but you know, to South Asians, to Pacific Islanders, to all mm-hmm. kinds of folks, right? And so, you know, anything I do, I always want to, want it to have some greater purpose. You know, I think it's always better when we can like hit a couple targets all at once, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, my friends run this incredible restaurant, Hop Woo, in uh, Los Angeles Chinatown. They've been there, you know, for a long time, holding it down on 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 the street. And so they let us shoot there. And, you know, really, really tried to, to bring awareness to some folks about the ways that they are struggling and suffering. And, you know, this is, they employ multiple people, you know, they, they help feed a lot of, a lot of households. They're well known, you know, it's a small mom and pop business. And 
on, on you know already we know something like 60% to 80% of uh small businesses that shutter or that closed temporarily during this pandemic are not going to reopen right? right and then add on top of that the increased anti-chinese anti-asian xenophobia and you know i just think anything that we can do to to make their lives a little easier that just that just helps all of us you know yeah definitely i mean that i kind of did something similar at the beginning of the pandemic like so i have a clothing line and you know i have all this material and stuff around but like i have no events to go send my sell my stuff to right mm-hmm. so i was like well let me grab some of this stuff let me start making masks it helped me like with my own anxiety right you know i did this whole effort where it was like you know if you buy a mask a matching one will be donated to you know, like an organization in need right so that's great I really like that you also, you know, are very community minded about, you know, all of the things that you do. I think it's very important for people to understand the value of that community because I, sometimes I think we take it for granted, you know, like that we could be out here in the wind. But some folks may not know it if they have not traveled far enough yet, right? Like some people never leave their town. Like when I moved here to DC area, like there were people who like didn't even know other parts of Maryland, like and they're from Maryland. And so I'm like, totally. but don't you know, like, so until you travel outside of that comfort zone, like you can never really understand the perspective of someone who is away from their, I guess their stronghold, you know, I <laughs> would real. be a good way to put that. So, uh, you know, I hope more folks, at least in listening to you and to other guests on the show, kind of, you know, understand that like, these are things that we really need to be grateful for. These are things that are not artificial, right? Like, well, we live in a very capitalistic society, right? So we're like, consume, consume, consume. But like, Mm -hmm. the true things I think I'm hoping a lot of us are realizing is to be grateful for, you know, the stuff that cannot be consumed, right? Like, I don't know, maybe it's just me. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think like, yeah, I think, you know, the irony of the pandemic is we can keep buying stuff, right? We can keep buying everything, but you're realizing it's people and it's experiences that really matter. I mean, I'm just, I don't, I don't know. It's just so hard for me to see how America's handling this pandemic because, you know, I see on my timeline, you know, I'd say like, you know, most of the people in my circles, um, not even my close circle, right? Most of the people in my circle are pretty responsible, pretty caring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, e- even even if they're, you know, whatever, leaning in whatever direction, they're still going to care about others. But I just still see even in, in my curated timelines, some people going out, you know, there, there's a huge surge in California right now, Yeah, still going out and, and having gatherings and having this and that. And I'm just like, man, I, I, I don't know. Like, I know what's wrong with this country. We're very selfish, right? <laughs> I don't know I don't. how we're going to fix it, right? I don't know how we're going to fix it. Because if you still think that your birthday party is worth, is what, is like, spe- exactly, like, right, Dana, it's entitled, like, if you think you're entitled to your birthday party and everyone else should just not have their birthday, like, that's just stupid to me. Right. And not stupid, in, again, but not stupid in the sense of like, oh, I don't understand why you would do that. Stupid in the sense of like, I understand exactly why you do that. I don't know. I'm just saying you're absolutely right. Like, it is people and it's experiences and, and it's culture and all these things that are valuable. But, you know, how do we get people to value them in a way that preserves them rather than valuing them in a way that just takes them in for themselves? And then, you know, it, it's just like Napoleon stealing artifacts from Egypt. Like, Napoleon thought <laughs> Egypt was valuable. You did what I'm saying? Napoleon thought Egypt was mad valuable. That did not help Egypt. Not at all. Right. You know what I'm saying? So how do we, I, I, you know, one way that I see the conversation being approached online is, yeah, we know y'all love our culture. You know, black culture has never been 
or, or, or Asian culture has never been not allowed at the table for, but, but it's exactly what you're saying. It's they love our culture for its consumption. They don't mm -hmm. necessarily love our communities for their furtherance. So how yes. do we tie the one to the other? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. No. And the, how you were saying with the pandemic, it was just interesting how people were demanding the restaurants to be open, the nail salons to be open. So most of the people that are the workers in those industries are minorities. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. especially in nail salons, that's, you know, primarily, you know, predominantly Asian. But then at the same time, you're spewing xenophobic statements or saying China, you know, the China virus and things like that. But yet um, you want that. And, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, same thing with, you know, the Hispanic culture. It's like you're all about Cinco de Mayo and drinking and everything else, not knowing what Cinco de Mayo stood for. Right. You're all about that. But then if you, we take away the guacamole, we take away the tacos, we take away. And, and I think the best part is like if you as much as you dislike all the minorities of this country, if you take away everything they contributed to this world, how much, how far back into Stone Age are we going to go? <laughs> oh, they would go. No. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's correct that. <laughs> but it, it's, it's like you said, it's that entitlement that I want what you can give me, but I just mm -hmm. don't, that like it said, I, I want what you can give, but I don't want your struggles. I want everything that's comfortable, but I don't want to be held accountable for my role in your struggle, right? Like, there's that part too, you know? Yeah. So, so interesting. We could go down so many rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about another kind of struggle. So many creators and artists struggle with acceptance of their work and the challenges um, of balancing their career aspirations with family life. Uh, you talked a little bit about this um, in Influencers Track. How, ha how have you learned to maintain balance in your life and like what kind of methods do you use to just keep it all straight? I mean, that's a that's a great question. You know, it, it, it's a constantly moving target, I feel like, because, you know, it's, you know, I, like over these holidays, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to getting a rest. I, I've been pushing really hard the last month or two pretty nonstop. Um, I think I'm getting better at listening to my body, listening to when I'm, you know, mm -hmm. sort of on the way down versus when I'm like good to run. But the biggest thing I think is just having good people around me, having the mm -hmm. right team around me who are like, you know, running smooth, running effective, able to, you know, able to really take things off my plate in a way to where, you know, when I'm feeling a certain way, they'll help me notice it. And they'll, you know, it, it's not all on my shoulders. So like, right. If I don't do anything, you know, then, then it's gone. Like, no, we've got protocols in place that, that let me ease back while continuing the movement forward, you know? So I think that's super important. Yeah. I mean, it really does have to be a team effort. Like everybody I know who's successful, there's, there's two common denominators, at least one is they know how to work really hard and they are very hardworking and they're very hungry. And the second is, uh, they have a team around them mm. that they can trust. It could be a large team, it could be a small team, but they have people that they really trust to hand things off to and, and to, to delegate to. And I think that I've, I've learned a lot from being around some of my friends who have very successful careers, seeing how they conduct themselves and then seeing how they run the people around them or how they run their team and trust the people around them is, is really important. Yeah, that that's great advice. And it's I think it's something that I've been trying to work on myself too, because you know you can do a lot by yourself, but man, 
burn that burnout is right there. It's like it's right on the cusp. Like <laughs> you just got to get that team. Like somebody tag it, you know. But I mean, building that trust is. It can be hard too, right? Like, especially when you're first getting started, because like this thing that you've created, whatever that might be, right? It's mm-hmm. your baby. Mm-hmm. Like, and only I know about it right now. And like, what if they tear it apart? You know, it's the whole like the feedback thing, which is like inevitable. So just having that support system. And I feel like um as indigenous peoples, like that is a big part of who we are, the community aspect, you know, having everyone understand their role in it. And that it is like a shared success, right? Like we're all working and grinding, right? But it's not all about, oh, Jason's going to get more shine than, I don't know, Alan or somebody, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, yeah, somebody can have success. It doesn't mean that it's to your detriment, right? Like you should be happy for them. What can you learn from them? Like, can you guys collaborate on something, right? Like change that mindset. I'm just, I, I don't know. I think 2021 is going to be like, a, I want to help people to get there, you know, because I see so much talent out here, but they're like in their own way. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's been ingrained too much in our, um, I think, in the creative culture of the crab in the bucket status, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you got to pull each other down in order for you to raise yourself up. Right. And we see, and media has not helped to decrease that detriment with um, within the artist community because as fans and everything else, they're constantly putting out there that this is person's pitched against this person, this person's pitch. And instead it's like, we should be, like you said, building each other up, you know, no matter whether it's musically, if it's, you know, photography, if it's any kind of artistic format, whether you're a writer or anything like that. And it's amazing what, um, cause I love to see it within the indie comic industry, how all the creatives will be like, okay, this person is getting ready to do a Kickstarter for their new comic, and they're they have no ties to that comic, but they're supporting and getting their fans to support that comic and say, "This is amazing. The artwork is done by this person." And then they do the same to each other, and it's like, okay, if we could get the other communities to kind of do the same, it could be such a beautiful thing that we could really elevate the diversity in the creative world a lot more than uh, following a directive that is given to us. Yeah, I've seen that in the in the indie comics Kickstarters. It's been very interesting because there is a whole unique culture to indie comics on Kickstarter. Um, I've had a couple of friends who are who are, you know, sort of self-publishing through through Kickstarter and it's working really well. They're getting like increased orders right from like, you know, issue to issue which you don't really see in a lot of other Kickstarter kind of communities. So there does mm-hmm. seem to be something really special about the comics world and the way people are supporting each other there. Yeah. And that kind of mutual aid is exactly what we're looking for, right? In all of our communities and our ventures. But I think you're absolutely right, Moana. It happens right when when we do it genuinely. Supporting mm-hmm. Instead of supporting each other, like, oh, is this a collaborate? In, in, in rap, there's so many times when it's a collaboration. Yeah. It's like, yo, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, what, where's the money in it for me or where's the clout in it for me? Versus like, yo, here's a cool project. I think my people are gonna like this. It's gonna add value to them. They can help right. support it. Um, when it's organic like that, it works so much better, right? Absolutely. And, and it's beautiful that you say that because you definitely demonstrate that example of that, you know, working genuinely with other artists. I mean, I you have songs like, you know, Yellow Diddy and Dojo with Alan Z. 
I mean, you're both rap artists and you could easily come at each other, but you came together, not only one song, but multiple songs together. Uh, you've also worked with Chow Mein. You worked with several other artists and because it's so genuine, it flows so well together hearing the two of you working together versus it. A lot of times you hear songs that it sounds like it's forced the uh, collaboration mm -hmm. versus it being a genuine, because when it's genuine, it's like the energy and how you talk with each other and everything. And it just makes it mesh really well. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, like that feeling of shared ownership, you know, to like, it's, this is our, you know, our magic that we get to share with the world. I mean, like, yeah, don't get me wrong. Bill's got to be paid. We all got to eat. We all got to put a, you know, a roof over our head that that's, you know, that's, that's just life, but you just don't want it to be like, like, I feel like a lot of the, the big companies or the big artists or, you know, whatever they focus on the bottom line, right? Like, Oh, we can't do that project because it's not going to make us dollars. And, you know, and they focus so much on the, on the money that they lose the value that the project actually brings. And that's why I think the Kickstarter community and the independent comics community is amazing. I mean, let's be honest, we're keeping the comic um, medium alive in a lot of ways, yes. you know? So shout outs to the indie community. Yes. <laughs> we love y'all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, there's always these, uh, these rumors that Marvel, you know, Disney or Warner Brothers is going to shut down the comics arms of, of their companies, right? The publishing arms, because, you know, you make so much more money off of, you know, an A-tier movie than you do off of, you know, even a, what, what what's a good print run these days in comics? Like 20,000, 25,000? maybe 40,000 copies, you know, like you're going to make so much more money off of, off of the IP than an individual floppy. But doing that really, that's, you know, cultural appropriation. That's like taking something from somewhere, but, you know, not, you know, not giving back to the people who helped flourish yes. and help build it up. Right. Yes. So, and I see the same in, in music circles, you know, like, yeah, like, you know, these indie artists, we might make, you know, 50, 60,000, Twenty thousand, eighty thousand dollars a year. But if we don't get support, there, there's a lot that gets lost, right? Like, sure, Drake is still going to be out there doing his thing. Big, bigger name artists are going to be out there doing their thing. But there's something that we gain by having like a rich underground, independent like communities, local communities that are putting out music. In some cases, the quality level might be a little lower. In some cases, the quality level is just as high as a major label signed artist. There's other things we don't have. But, you know, it is important to continue supporting that because those are the people who are who are in your neighborhoods yeah. uh, creating from that perspective. Yeah. And it's it's more relatable that way. I, I feel like something is lost when you, you know, it's like ugh, like this Congress with this whole bill. Right. Like they're so out of touch with, you know, the general public. Mm -hmm. They're out for their own needs, which is, you know, mirrors a lot of you know, big business and things like that. And that's why over time it just gets watered down to keep repeating the same stuff because they've lost, they don't have creativity anymore. They're so focused on the dollar that they need to mm -hmm. pay tribute to the source and, you know, where they're pulling all of this stuff from. It's frustrating, but it is what it is, right? Yes. <laughs> no, I was just saying, that's why you have to vote. You got to vote for the people mm -hmm. that will have that voice for us. Especially in Georgia right now. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Early voting is still going in Georgia, so if you haven't voted. Um, so what has been your um, your biggest struggle as an Asian American creator or artist? I think my biggest struggle is really first and foremost that, you know, as an Asian American individual, 
much less creative artists, whatever, we're really not taught our history, right? We're mm. really not taught where we come from, right? I think that's part of why for me, it was really hip hop that gave me a sense of history and heritage and place. Because for me, you know, as an Asian American, I grew up, you know, some of the basics, but honestly, most of what we grow up learning is either family history or is, you know, a, a very whitewashed colonialized mentality of, you know, what it means to be Asian, what it means to be Asian in America or what it means to be Asian in general. Right. And I think that that's where I've learned so much from hip hop about hip hop teaches, you know, if you really pay attention, not even I'm not even talking about like woke TED talk hip hop, you know what I'm saying? I'm even saying things like Migos, Lil Baby, Future, you know what I'm saying? Even like Nicki, like, you know, all, all these Rico Nasty, like all these artists, not even explicitly, but just on such a deep level, show you a different vision of the world. You know, they show you that there's a whole other world out there than what you might learn in school. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you just listen to Jay-Z, you listen to a Jay-Z record, you're going to hear references to all this stuff that you never heard about in school. And it's going to tell you on so many levels, there's other histories and there's other ways of being successful, of being rich, of being well educated, of being well spoken, of being, you know, what whatever it is that you think is good. There's ways to do that that are different than what you learn in like, you know, a white school system. So I think that for me, when I saw that in hip hop, that's when I went, all right, what does that mean for me as Asian American? Um, and that's when I dived into my history and was really able to learn a lot about, you know, figures that are role models for me, that are that are ancestors and, and you know, elders to me that I would not have even sought out or, or thought existed were it not for this awakening to, yo, there's something else out there beyond white supremacist and white, and white normative culture. So for me, that's been the biggest struggle. The biggest struggle, and, and I mean, I, I will say this, the biggest struggle has been within myself, right? Mm. Against these colonizing forces, yeah. right? And, and I'm not saying that like, oh man, your, your biggest enemy is yourself. Like, no, the, the enemy is you know, whiteness or white supremacy. But I'm saying that, you know, before we fight, you know, racism outside, we got to fight it inside first. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like Kendrick said on Black or the Berry, you know, like if in my heart, and I see this happening a lot in the Asian American Pacific Islander community, right? In our hearts, we don't actually love what it, we don't know what it means to be Asian or Pacific Islander. So we don't love that. And so, you know, we, we, we talk a lot. We talk a big game about representation. We talk a big game about, oh, you know, we need to be in these positions. But we don't even know when we get in those positions what to do because we follow no revolutionary example. So for me, that's been like kind of kind of the biggest and most most difficult journey of my life. And then now that I'm finding myself at a certain place on it, um, a, a lot has opened up from there. And so what part of your culture would you like to see expressed more in mainstream media? Yeah, I think just, you know, exactly on this same topic, like there's, you know, 170 years of Asian American role models, like, you know, not even immigrants. I'm just talking about Asian Americans. People are always like, oh, man, that show is set in cowboy times. Why would there be an Asian? Well, there was mad Asians here, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. In cowboy times. Like, exactly. A lot of, <laughs> lot of, lot of, you know, I mean, definitely we're talking about Native Hawaiians. Um, if we're talking about Chinese and Japanese, you know, yeah. there's like been people there, right? People were like, oh, that's said during World War II. So, no, like there, there were, again, there were our people there, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And shouts to Marvel for often doing this right. Because Marvel does at least try to do it right. Like you look at Captain America, uh, the first one, right? They had, um, what's his name? Kenneth 
I forget what the actor's name is, but you know they they had uh, one of the Howling Commandos, Nick Fury, all that. You know, what I'm saying the Howling Commandos was was Asian, right? And and they always Marvel usually gets a little more right, you know. But I think that what just pop culture needs to put out there, and I, and I think again before even broad pop culture does this, what Asian American culture needs to do is understand that we've always had a stake in this country, mm-hmm. right? Uh, when we talk about Asian American heritage, we don't need to talk about Asia. We can talk about America. You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of people, this is, this is one thing I'll say, a lot of Asian Americans, when we look to heritage, we automatically, because of racism, we automatically look to Asia, right? Yes. So it's like, oh, as an Asian American, right, what's my heritage? Oh, let me think about some Chinese shit. Let me think about some, you know, Filipino shit. Let me think about some Thai shit. You know, let me think about some, you know, Tongan shit. Uh, and that's great, you know, like shout out to all that. But the reality is that we can also look at distinctly American stories. Whether you're talking soldiers, whether you're talking criminals, whether you're talking beautiful women, whether you're talking actors, there have been Asian Americans who have been all those things for hundred again for over a hundred years. And so I think you know it, it's it's 2020. In 1920, there absolutely were Asian American actors and dancers and outlaws and, you know, warriors, all these things. So I think we really need to stop thinking that Asian American heritage, right, you know, means, oh, let's let's eat, (laughs) eat rice and use chopsticks and (laughs) talk about, you know, the Zodiac. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like all of which is real. Stereotypes. But there's also baseball and basketball and, you know, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. And, you know, there's also all of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that we really, 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 again, before anyone else realizes that, we need to realize that. Because we need to stop orientalizing ourselves and saying, oh, my heritage is Asian. Oh, my heritage is Asian American, you dig? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the... That's the uniqueness of kind of being an indigenous person, right? Like you have the roots part and then you have like the American part, um, mm-hmm. which unfortunately, you know, those a lot of those are things that they hide from textbooks, right? So, you know, you have to be willing to go out there and do your own research and, and learn more, like, you know, especially now in terms of like, just like negative perspectives on, you know, like how, you know, they like to say they're like, well... Indigenous peoples didn't really serve this country or, you know, in, in any given way, right? We're always, like, minimized. But then, you know, like, I look back just to my own family, like, as an example. I'm like, I have, my father was a veteran. My grandfather was a veteran. My great-great-grandfather was a veteran. Like, yeah. Vietnam, Korean War, World War One, World War Two, like... And then, of course, the own Hawaiian struggle and the overtaking, you know, the overthrow of the monarchy. So, like, please don't even get me started with, like, yeah. the sacrifice exactly. that Indigenous peoples have done for this country, you know. So, yeah, a lot of those threads just kind of fire me up. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's because when you see those threads, it's, it's because people have focused on so much of what they learned or mm-hmm. what they chose to learn, either from growing up in their own community or what they are fed mm. elementary school through high school. But then you realize, I mean, everything from black history, you know, um, black history had to be put into the schools and had to go through mm-hmm. that process. And now API history is slowly trickling in, but it's not as well versed just as, as African-American history. It's like bits and pieces are given. So then when, unfortunately, so many, when they become adults, 
They just think everything that they were told is, you know, it's golden. All. And yeah. then when someone, which always <laughs> throws me off, is when someone of that culture is correcting them. No, no, no. <laughs> and that's a sketch book. It's like, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How about you talk to my grandma? How do y'all talk about my grandma? <laughs> <laughs> they can tell you that was that didn't happen. <laughs> I know that's right. Yeah, that gets on my nerves, especially in Hawaii, uh, you know, and tourists mm -hmm. be like trying to tell you about your own culture. I'm like, hold up. Can we just check yourself right now? Like, mm -hmm. get out of here. <laughs> or even the colorism that people, oh, I mean, yeah. they established, especially for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Moana will know for the Hawaiian culture. It's like, oh, you know, they know from media that. Asians, you know, Chinese are supposed to look this way. Japanese are supposed to look this way. Hawaiians supposed to look this way. So then, when they see someone like myself or look at Moana, they're like, "You're not mm -hmm. Hawaiian. You know, you're you're this, you're that." It's like not according to my birth certificate. <laughs> okay. And uh, and then it's like, have you ever gone to Hawaii? That most people in Hawaii are my complexion or darker. Yes. And mm -hmm. but yet you have this vision that's supposed to be that. Or my favorite is, you know, correcting people of, you know, that are of, you know, South A um, Asian culture that they're not Asian. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, my best friend's Filipino. He's very much Asian, but he's not going to be. He's not light complected that you you have this association that you know has to be pale skin. All Asians are pale skin. So anyone that's darker than that, they're not Asian. It's just like, no, mm -hmm. that's that's not how it is. Yeah. I Go visit to... some calls, some communities or leave the country and, and understand that that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if you look back historically, you know, like a lot of people don't even realize that there was a um a Pacific slave trade. Like if you look at Blackburning, mm -hmm. y'all, you know, indigenous people were stolen from islands there to, to work on plantations in Fiji. Um, and so that's mm -hmm. why if you look at Fijians now, they have the most, um, the darkest features, they align most closely mm -hmm. to what we see as Africans. And there's a reason for that. Even in Filipino culture, right? You have like lighter skin ones who are like me and like my grandfather. Well, I'm like skin because I'm here on the mainland without the sun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then you have like, um, the negrito, which are, you know, like the more dark skinned ones. So it's like in any culture, right? Like one face does not represent the entire culture. There are, um, you know, you go along a spectrum, right? And it's still the same people. It's just different shades of brown beauty, you know, like, yeah. so yeah, colorism is an, an interesting conversation. Yes. <laughs> I mean, isn't there also like darker skinned Chinese people, um, Jason? Yeah, there, I mean, there's definitely, well, so on so many levels, right? Like uh, just geographically, right? There's Chinese folks in different regions. And so that certainly happens. And then you also write Chinese. Uh, so so I'm Han Chinese, right? Which is which is sort of the dominating ethno uh, ethnic phenotype. But there's, you know, there, there's 60 plus minority groups mm. uh, and, and, and recognized ethnic groups in China. And I think, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that there's very distinct phenotypes even within Chinese culture. And so much of that is is not understood. Right. And and I think that it's it's really important to preserve this understanding of, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, in, in the same way that not all Asians are alike, not even all Chinese people are alike. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, pushing for that for that further understanding um, in the same way that, you know, you, you can look at 
somebody of Ethiopian or Eritrean descent. Right. And they're going to look very different from like West Africans. Right. But but all of that, again, in, in America's simplified racial kind of yeah. paradigm, it, it all becomes just black. Right. Or, or similarly, it all becomes just like Chinese or Asian. Um, and 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 again, it, it's people got to we got to preserve the breadth of diversity of our communities while also in, in making sure, yeah, while also uniting and making sure that we can come together and making sure that, cause you know, when I hear, I hear very often, like, you know, you even hear, I, I've seen on, on online discourse, you hear, oh, folks whose parents came from Africa in the last 50 years don't understand blackness because, you know, your families didn't under- experience slavery. And I also hear, you know, like, oh, a lot of, you know, East Asians, um, you know, it, if I'm like, Vietnamese. Uh, I really want to distance myself from East Asian communities, and and that's helpful to a degree. But at a certain point, whether whether you're from Myanmar or you're a rich Chinese person, that racist is going to look at you and treat you the same way. So we're fighting these same battles, not because of us, but because of what's being put on us. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I think we're coming up to the end of the hour and I definitely want to wow. respect your time. I know it's been an amazing chat. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, hopefully I can uh, come back sometime in the new year. You know, yes. let's keep this going. We got plenty more to talk on. You know, we got a lot concert, more things going on. Jason Chu uh, concert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. out here. <laughs> oh, awesome. So where can folks find you online if they want to check out your music and support? Yes, please, please. Uh, just Jason Chu everywhere. J-A-S-O-N-C-H-U. Um, I'm, I'm at Jason Chu Music on, on Instagram, on Facebook. Like all social media, I'm at Jason Chu Music. On all streaming services, my new single, Splash, just dropped today. Please run up the numbers on that. It's my favorite music. But just look for Jason Chu or at Jason Chu Music anywhere. And, you know, tap in with me. Stay connected. Uh, you know, any friend of Moana's, any friend of Dana's is a friend of mine. That's awesome. We love you. Oh, yeah. All there right. we go. That's the record. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Let me let me, let me me get Dana on the... Yes. Yeah, there you go. This is al- his last album, uh, Living Room. So uh, you could definitely purchase a copy um, if you're interested. Great music to chill out definitely connect to and everything so yes that's awesome i was definitely um listening to some of the the tracks on there before this is dope um so dana where what about you where can folks find you online uh you can find me both on facebook and instagram and as danique events you can see a lot of my photography um that um with me cosplayers a lot of the con community and things like that so uh of course this year, the uh, there haven't been any cons, but it's been virtual. So, but we definitely hope after you know, starting with 2021, we'll start coming back. And those that attend MomoCon, DragonCon, any of those, you'll be able to see me again behind the camera. Awesome, thanks, Dana. Um, and Dana will also be actually a guest on 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 the podcast in in the future. So I'm looking forward to talking with her more about her work in the cosplay community. Um, you can find me at the Real Life Moana on IG, and then at Moana McAdams on Twitter and Facebook as well, right here on the podcast, moanamakeadams.com, where you can purchase our comic, The Wildcard Chronicles. Check out my children's book, Fishing Day with Papa Ray, um, and check out our swag. So um, thank you guys for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it. Please connect with our guests, connect with us, give us feedback, let us know what you think, let us know what you want to hear about. And we appreciate y'all. Happy holidays. Please stay safe, stay healthy, stay social distance, wear your masks, We're all in this together and we love y'all. So take care, guys. 
Aloha, malama pono, ahui ho. Yeah.